we go back in time today. We attempt to recreate, well, recreate what is, well, let's be honest, the worst day in all of Jesus' life. None of the others even come close. You know the day we call good. We discuss why it happened. We look at explanations that have been offered by theologians throughout the ages. Then we consider that maybe we've been going about this all wrong, all on the way to answering the question, Good Friday, what's the point? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Roughly 2,000 years ago, a man was executed, and the fact that he lived, preached, attracted attention, was arrested, and ultimately executed is not really up for debate. I mean, there are people who debate all sorts of aspects of his life and ministry, but his existence, his controversial ministry, and death through execution really aren't amongst them. Even secular historians agree and don't really debate whether or not these things happened. Now, there are two days, two events that shape all of Christian history, and they happen, well, this week. I am recording this just a couple of days prior to Easter, so that's why I say this week. If you're listening to it in a different time frame, just know that. So one is Good Friday, the execution of Jesus. And the second happens on the Sunday immediately following Good Friday and is the resurrection of Jesus. Now, before we really get started, I want you to do something for me. Both Easter and Good Friday have been so recreated and therefore, unfortunately, defined by, well, let's just say it, bad Christian art, that when we approach the actual days on the calendar, it's not surprising for our minds to be filled with images that were created by others. Not necessarily accurate images, just dramatic artistic renditions of what happened on those days. So I want you to, if you will, in this little exercise I'm going to ask you to do, to close your eyes for a moment. Now, if just shutting your eyes makes you uncomfortable, then don't do it. Don't worry about it. There is no pass or fail on this. Or if you're driving while doing this, please don't close your eyes. You don't really need to do it to be part of this exercise. But if it makes you comfortable and it works for you to kind of focus on what I'm going to have you visualize, then close your eyes. I promise, there's no gimmick here, and there's no right or wrong answer to this. Now, I want you to imagine the scene on that Good Friday. Discard what others have shown it to be, and imagine for yourself, how do you think it looked? Kind of work your way around. Look in different directions. What did the area look like? What did it feel like that day? Where were people standing? What was on their faces? Think about the details of the day. Now, I want you to save that image. And if you don't have it yet, just pause here while you form it. But I want you to save that image. Ponder it. You can edit it as I go through this podcast. We're going to come back to it in the end. Now, if you want to talk about external controversy, meaning controversy revolving around our faith but happening outside of it, then look no further than Easter. Generally, Christians across the board agree that Jesus rose from the dead 
and that the resurrection really happened. Yes, I know there are people who call themselves Christian who don't believe this, but by and large, calling yourself a Christian and believing in the resurrection kind of go hand in hand. And there really isn't the same kind of external controversy, meaning did it happen or didn't it happen, revolving around the Good Friday story because, well, even non-believers, as I said already, say it happened. If Easter is the occurrence that sparks external debate, then Good Friday is the day that sparks internal debate for Christianity. No, the debate doesn't revolve around if it happened. That seems to be given. But between the many people and churches that gather on Friday to commemorate Jesus' death, amongst those people who observe that event, there is quite a bit of debate about what it means. In other words, we know that Jesus died, and we, as Christians, believe that it is an important transformative event for us and for all humanity, but why? How? Now, without getting lost in the weeds here, I'll give you an example or two just as a frame of reference. In Christianity, we believe that Jesus didn't just die. He died for a reason, and debating the reason is where all the controversy exists. There is, well, I'll give you one. There is the ransom theory. People had sinned and therefore gotten themselves in a situation where Satan, because of their sins, owned full rights to their souls. Jesus' death was the personal sacrifice that Jesus paid, that God paid, to the devil. Our debt was paid by that death, and now we are free, we are redeemed. One of the problems with this one is that it seems to place the devil as the ultimate power player in the story and puts God in a position of having to appease the devil. There's also the satisfaction theory. This one takes the devil out of kind of that role. This one focuses on the fact that God kind of was in charge of everything. We've sinned. We've caused ourselves to have run up a debt in God's ledger book, so to speak, a debt that we can't hope to ever pay off. Jesus' death pays the debt to God, and so we are again redeemed. We are free. And the problem here is that if God's ledger book belongs to God, and if he wants to write off a debt, why can't he just do it? Why does Jesus need to die so God can be satisfied? One of these theories has Good Friday being about paying off Satan. The other is really about Jesus' death paying off God so the balance sheet reconciles. And these aren't the only ones. There are lots of these. These are just two examples, and I give them to you with full permission to now let them go. First, all theology is created by finite creatures, that's us, using limited language, that's words, to describe something that is by definition beyond our understanding, meaning the mind and purpose of God. Theology is the attempt to nail this stuff down, and it is important and also simultaneously inherently flawed. So here we sit, perhaps in church or wherever you are, on Good Friday, metaphorically sitting at the foot of the cross and staring and wondering, what's the correct takeaway? There was a picture that circulated on the internet the other day. Now, just a quick aside about me that may be helpful as I tell this story. I've had family and friends tell me I used the phrase the other day incorrectly. Evidently, it is intended to mean something like, not today, but fairly recently. 
Yeah, that's not quite the way I use it. I use it to mean this happened some time ago. Well, sometimes a long time ago, but it feels far more recent to me, so I say it happened the other day. So back to the story. There was a picture that circulated on the internet the other day, and this picture became an overnight sensation. It was a picture of a dress at a wedding, and you may have seen it. It was not the bride's dress, just someone who attended the wedding. But here's the thing. Some people who saw the picture on their screen saw a dress that was gold with white bands. Others saw the very same picture displayed on perhaps the very same monitor or phone and clearly saw a dress that had bands of black and blue, not gold and white. Evidently, the disparity of interpretation stems from how the viewer interprets some of the clues in the photo. If your brain believes it's seen a picture taken in the shadows, it corrects the color accordingly. If your brain interprets the picture as having been taken in plenty of light, it adjusts the picture differently. Some people saw the picture one way, some people saw the picture the other, and some people could go back and forth. And I was one of those people who saw both. The dress could literally change before my eyes. It wasn't subtle and insignificant change. It was as if I was seeing two different pictures. It was unnerving, a little frightening, maybe also slightly exhilarating to have my clarity of understanding change so dramatically, so rapidly. So you may ask me at this point, okay, Dan, which one was correct? I have no idea. None. And it doesn't really matter. Because if you're interested in that picture because you want to know if your perception is the correct one, then you have reduced it into something that is about being right. And then you've lost the opportunity to wonder about why you're perceiving it in one way or another, to wonder about why others see it differently from you, to learn and grow from these questions. Jesus hangs upon the cross today, and he utters three words. It is finished. Now, in the Episcopal Church, we read from the Gospel of John in our liturgy for Good Friday. So he, in the other Gospels, has other things he says from the cross. But these are his last words from the cross in the Gospel of John. Here's the question. What does Jesus mean by those words? He's been abandoned, abused, denied, executed. If Jesus said them in the same way that we might say, I'm done, to imply that we're frustrated beyond our ability to cope and throwing up our arms and walking away, well, who could blame him? Who could blame him if he got to the very end and in a moment of pain, frustration, abandonment, and uncertainty, he said, it is finished. I'm done. On the other hand, those words could take a totally different meaning. Perhaps they are not an exhausted resignation, but a phrase meant to say, I have finished my life's work. I am totally spent, but I can now rest. Like Michelangelo might have said after finishing painting the Sistine Chapel, it is finished. Or maybe you have another interpretation of those words. Look, there isn't a right answer there because there isn't even a right question here. The moment of Jesus on the cross is one that absolutely defies any simple explanation. So, so here's what I encourage you to do. Immerse yourself in the image that you have formed of this moment. Allow yourself to be touched by the story, by the scene, 
as you see it before you. And then as you look upon this scene of Jesus on the cross and his death, what draws your attention? It could be those three words or something else entirely. It can be different today than it was last year. It can have changed dramatically just in the course of this podcast. Good Friday has so many things to show us, so many lessons to teach us. So gaze upon the cross. What part of the story do you find interesting? Moving. Disturbing. Comforting. Hopeful. Pick whatever it is that is capturing your attention and sit with that. Move past whether or not it's right and just allow yourself to wonder why. Why is this the place that my attention is focused right now? And see where that spiritual journey takes you. That's all for today. If you have a question for me or a response to this podcast, then send me an email. I'd love to hear from you, even if you disagree with me. I'd love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T, dan at skypilot.zone. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.